Hey, dealmakers, welcome to the show where it's all about financial freedom with real estate. Let's do this. You're listening to the Financial Freedom with Real Estate Investing podcast, hosted by Garrett Lynch and Michael Blanc, where we talk all about how you can achieve financial independence through apartment building investing. Whether you're just starting out or you want to scale your syndication business, this is the show for you. Today, we're talking about a different asset class that's going to be short-term rentals. And I've been fascinated with short-term rentals because I have observed that uh, with a very few number of short-term rentals, you can achieve a similar type of financial freedom. But there's always things that bother me about short-term rentals a little bit. And all this legislation, there was a recent article in New York where they basically banned them all out of New York City. Like, there can be no more short-term rentals. So if I'm building up our portfolio with financial freedom and now I can't do that anymore, that's a problem. But I've always been kind of intrigued by it. And today's guest is going to talk about that. He's actually built a huge portfolio of 300 units in a very unique way that involves actually apartment building owners. So it actually has an apartment building mixed to it. It's not a single family house. It's actually within apartment buildings. How does he do that? Why does he attract and why do landlords allow him to do that or even welcome into his units? And then how does he do it? How does he scale that? It's a really interesting way. And I think you're really going to enjoy that. Before we get that, I was going to do a shout out. Uh, to Andressa, who left us a, a review on Amazon for the Yellow Book. The Yellow Book is called Financial Freedom with Real Estate. And uh, she was very uh, elaborate, but she said, she said, this is an informative book. It's great. <laughs> so thanks, Andressa, for that feedback. If you haven't already read the Yellow Book, check it out. It's on Amazon. And if you have read it, uh, please leave us a review. More people can find us that way. Same thing, if you're enjoying this podcast, just uh, head over to iTunes and leave us a review there. That allows us to reach more people. I also we want to highlight people that we know are doing deals, and it's we've been doing this podcast now since 2014, doing success highlights for the last three years and major up markets, major down markets, and surprisingly, there's always someone doing a deal. And this week, it's Janesh Patel. He's our, one of our first deal makers. He bought his first deal. It's an eight unit in Chicago, $800,000, and he raised a quarter million dollars. And uh, he's only 21 years old, which is super awesome. Just a, a, an example of the fact that you don't need experience to be successful in this business. And you don't need a million dollars in the bank to do this business because he had raised that as well. So congratulations on that deal, Janesh. And really, the, the point is that people are doing deals right now. And we're going to talk about that in a second. In fact, I want to bring on our co-host, Garrett Lynch. What's going on, Garrett? What's going on, Michael? Now, speaking of doing deals, while we do shout out people who are doing deals, I and mean, we have a pretty big ecosystem, and we're always we're tracking people who do their first deals, we're tracking people who quit their jobs, and so we have a lot of data points. But for ourselves, Nighthawk Equity, our investment firm, man, we haven't done a deal in how long? Like 12 months? 14 months. 14 months. It's super sad, and it's not for lack of trying. It's been challenging to find deals because the height of the market was March of 2022, and then the Federal Reserve started hiking interest rates. And so sellers wanted the, the price for March of last year. And, and the market was, well, no, actually, the, the price is now lower because interest rates are higher. And then the lending environment kind of wigged out and loaned, the loan proceeds went a lot lower. So therefore, prices adjusted downwards. And there was, I think, at one point, the national average was like an 11% gap between what sellers want and what buyers are willing to offer. And you know, volume, sales volume was actually down like 74% earlier in the, in the year. And it's coming back slowly. That gap is closing slowly, but it's been hard to find the fine deals for for us. We have, you know, you know, we're not in 15 markets. We're in a, in a specific market, and so we've been underwriting deals. And it's been it's been tough. But we finally got one last week, Garrett. 
Yeah, we we did get one. And it's, you know, the deals nowadays, if you do, if you are able to pull one together, I've been, I've been saying this before, is that you run at them because they're so much cheaper than when we, when we initially started looking at deals, we're seeing pricing down as, as far as even 50% on some deals from the top of where the market was. And you're going into these deals, typically underwriting them with very conservative measures because things are not going up necessarily. They may be, but the deal that we found specifically is is unique because not only is it in a market that we're very familiar with and we know the landscape and everything like that, but it's being underwritten so conservatively that I'm like, how do we not make this, this thing work? Which is which is what we did in the deal in March too. We underwrote like 40% economic vacancy on that deal. And it's just like, you give yourself such a head start on, on what you're doing. And so this one's, we're not quite underwriting 40% economic vacancy, but there's other metrics in there that we just blown out completely, or like the rent bumps are barely anything, organic rent growth, barely anything. And just a lot of really conservative metrics to put us in a position where if it goes a little bit better than that, hopefully at some point in the, in the next you know five years, it should come out ahead. And it, there's no refinances modeled or anything like that, which are hard to predict. It's just a straight hold period of time. And then you gauge it as you go through, hey, are we going to hold this longer, shorter, whatever it is. But it's it's kind of simple, and there's you know there's not a lot of moving parts, and it's it's just one of those things that you're like, hey, we're buying it at a discount. We know it's cheaper than much cheaper than where things used to be, and we know how to run this thing. We we've had a lot of success running similar types of products. So very cool. There's upside. There's still value at upside on the deal. There's m- missing amenities and classic units and all the good stuff that you normally have, but just very conservative underwriting that we're excited about. And so look forward to launching that one. Yeah. I mean, you got to separate deals that were bought 18, 24 months ago from deals bought now. It is in fact the same asset class multifamily, but these deals are underwritten completely differently. And so I want you, when you're listening to this, if you're an active investor or a past investor, to keep that in mind, like moving forward is completely different than what we bought 18, 24 months ago. Like for example, we're buying at a, you know, we're buying with a very high interest rate, right? We're buying more with fixed fixed interest rates, or if we are buying a distressed asset with bridge loan, we have very long rate cap periods that are very expensive to buy these rate caps. They just have to work them into the deal. So the interest rate is high. It's going to be a fixed interest rate. You're going in like this deal, just specifically going in at a 6.6 cap. That's insane. It was like four point four and a half cap, five cap, you know, like yeah, 18 we're months using, ago. So we're using the high interest rate to our advantage to bring prices down. You're not seeing this as much in the residential markets right now. People are just, because there's a supply issue, there's just paying, you know, depending on where you're at, just paying like what things were before, maybe even higher, but commercial is different. And you're able to use that. That's, I don't, I'm not scared of that seven and a half percent interest rate. I want to use it to get equity. And that's that's essentially what's happening right now, which is super exciting. Well, so I, I would argue that obviously March, in hindsight, March of 22 was the height of the market. And are we at the bottom? Are we near the bottom? Like, what, what's your feeling about that? I don't think we're at the bottom yet, but I think it's it's coming soon. And I I know that with enough time, you're able to to get through you know these periods. And we're I think we're we're getting close to that. Definitely. Next year, we're going to see a, a rush of 
people trying to figure out what to do with their deals that are that are coming due on the bridge debt and maybe trying to sell them off, maybe a saturation in the market. So if it's not here already, it's probably quickly coming. It just really depends, again, where, what the Fed wants to do and, and how the market's going to react to that. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. This, this asset that we are acquiring is actually not a distressed asset, but we are seeing some distressed assets now coming to market. And a lot of these loans are expiring you know, next, you know, early next year, middle of next year. And, you know, we know some of the operators who are affected by that and, and it's challenging to kind of refinance or sell. And uh, we will get 50 cents on, a, on the dollar too. And so we want to be ready for that. Just, just I think the message I, I want people to, to understand is that the way we're buying stuff now is significantly different than, you know, 18, 24 months ago. So it is kind of exciting to, you know, be able to pick these up and ultra conservatively with the outlook that things are going to stay about the same, you know, maybe get a little worse. But they're underwritten so well that it would have to be almost catastrophic. And so I'm really excited about, about that. Yeah, we're just in a place now where you can't be too careful when you're trying to get a deal and put it together. You can't, there's not a lot happening. And so it has to be the right fit. People say that all the time. And now it's you, you really have to make sure you're covering all your bases as far as the market going down even further, making sure that you're you're set on all your underwriting and everything. And so just in general, find, I mean, finding deals for those of you guys out there, especially investors that are in deals that are getting hurt right now. There's a way to make your money back on deals that are coming that are right now. If you if you can get into something around this time or in the near future, there's an opportunity there, I think. So Yeah, absolutely. Right now is a great time to kind of get your education and be talking to brokers because if you're not talking to brokers right now, you're going to miss the opportunities because yeah, you're not going to read about them in the news. Well, you might, but if that's already too late if you are and you're not finding them on LoopNet. These are all off-market activities. So start talking to the brokers now, get your education now. Now is the time to get prepared for the opportunity that's coming. So with that, let's get into the show here with Syed Latif and learn about a different way of investing, but nevertheless, we made it to apartments, which is short-term rentals. Let's get right into the show with Syed Latif. Syed, welcome to the show today. Pleasure to ha have me here. I'm so excited to talk to you guys. Yeah, you have a sizable short-term rental portfolio, and I'm, I'm always fascinated, you know, how other people build their businesses and things of that nature. But I'm curious, Syed, how did you get started with short-term rentals? Talk to us a little bit about what was going on in your life where you're like, oh, I want to, I want to get into short-term rentals. Sure. So just so you guys understand right now, so I have 300 units under management in the Airbnb space. I've been doing this for about seven years now. And I had 100 resources in my business a month ago. I actually downsized a little bit, keep up with my expense ratios. But that's kind of where my business is at today. But I'll take it back, you know, seven years ago when I started, you know, my background is corporate finance. You know, I went to college, graduated in finance, and then got a job, you know, working at Allstate Insurance and forecasting and budgeting. I was there for about six years. And then I kind of got this bug to you know, find that financial freedom, get out of the rat race. You know, I started listening to the ebook for Rich Dad, Poor Dad that got me like super motivated and I wanted to, you know, have my money work for me. So at the same time, I got into the bigger podcast podcast phase where I listened to almost every podcast on the way to work. I used to be on the forums, reading every single forum, and I wanted to get into this house hacking type model. So it was a year's worth of uh, researching. And then finally, I started wanting to put offers out. And after a year of putting offers back in 2017, I finally got a property, a four-unit building plus basement under contract, and I closed on the property. 
I had to live in the property. So I had to live in one of the units because I did FHA financing. And after I lived in the unit for a year is when I moved out. But now I had a unit that was furnished. So I was like, okay, what could I do with this unit? I stumbled upon Airbnb and I launched my Airbnb business in February, which is a cold month in my market. And I ended up making rent. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's February, it's a slow month, 28 days. I don't even get the full 30, 31 days. Let's see what happens in March. And March, spring break came along and all of a sudden I made two times rent. So that's when I was like, whoa, like what is going on? This is pretty neat. Like I'm making two times rent. That's a huge cash flow. That's all the cash flow that I get from my long-term tenants from my other building. But this is just like one basement unit. And I was like, okay, let's keep on going. And then April came along, May came along, and I started making three times rent. And that's when I was like, whoa, this is like next level. I need to go all in on this. Like, how can I get more units? And at the same time, renewals were up in my building. And some tenants wanted to get a home. They moved out for whatever reasons. One tenant didn't like um, having Airbnb in the building. So I ended up making all the units in my building Airbnb. And then the second I put it on, the demand was so strong. I ended up making three times rent in the first month. And I'm like, okay, like this is a once in a lifetime opportunity. I went into my job, told my manager, like, all right, you know, I'm giving you my month's notice. I want to do the entrepreneurship full time. And just to give you an idea is when I got into this like bigger pockets, like I wanted to have my like cash flow replace my nine to five income. I thought it would be like, you know, a 15 year process, you know, <laughs> something like that. And then all of a sudden in three, four months, I'm like, all right, I'm get, I'm leaving, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this like uh, full time. So it was like accelerated, you know, it was, it was, it was fast. My job ended up asking me to stay on board for part-time, but at the same time, it was good. I got to keep my benefits. And finally, December 25th comes, they're like, okay, you know, we don't need you anymore after Christmas, you know, Jan 1, you'll start, you know, we don't need you at our job anymore. And, you know, at the time it was kind of scary, but because I didn't know, but I ended up saying, okay. And January 1, 2018 is when I started this business full-time. That's cool. What was that like? I mean, you're, you're working a job, right? And all of a sudden, yeah. now you're not anymore. I mean, but how? what was that like? So I will tell you that when I told all my friends and family and wife and everybody, like three, four months of doing the Airbnb business that I want to leave, and I'm actually going to put in my notice, everybody that I knew thought I was crazy. They're like, how can you do that? You know, you're making a nice salary income. You got a degree in this, like you have like a family and you have expenses and you know, entrepreneurship is not easy. It's up and down. But like, I had this thing in me where, where I could not concentrate at work anymore because I did not care. I, like, even though I liked my job at one point, but like now I see something different and I, I got excited and I'm like fantasizing in, in the meetings at work and daydreaming. I'm like, okay. And then, then I started getting anxious being in those meetings and like them talking about things that I now don't care about. So I was like, okay, it's in me. I have to do it. I'll bet on myself. Like I had this like alpha male mentality, like, you know, I'm going to figure it out. There's nothing that's going to stop me. And, you know, also I have plan B just in case if something goes wrong, you know, I could always just go back and get a job. You know, I'll never make it so I don't have any money in my pocket. You know, I'll do anything. I'll, I'll go on and drive for Uber, you know, if that's the case, if I need to provide, you know, I kind of went against everybody's like wants for me and I kind of bet on myself and, you know, I went on in this business, but yeah, it was a little scary, but I was like, you know, let's make it happen. Did you find that, especially early when you got into, into the short-term rentals, that the people around you weren't as supportive as you would like? I mean, I remember when I got started, 
you know, my family and my friends, they always kind of thought I'm kind of crazy, right? Uh, yeah. Raising money and buying real estate. And so yeah. was that similar for you as well? Or uh, what was that like? So one thing for me is I might feed off that from other people. When people doubt me, it's like, I just want to prove them wrong. So like, I kind of like use that as motivation to like, okay, you know, I'm going to make it happen. So, you know, think bad upon it, think I'm going to fail and I'm going to prove you wrong. That's like my mindset, you know? So maybe it's the way I'm able to do things. Like if I had another route where they're like, oh, you got this, you're going to do it. Maybe I would not be end up being worth the position I am in today. So I'm kind of, I'm okay with how things panned out. But then it's funny, like now when you are who you are and how successful you become, then the conversations start happening. Like I knew this was going to happen. I knew you're going to do it. I knew sure. um, you had it in you from day one. Like, <laughs> it's funny, but like, you know, I'll say, okay, can you, thank you. You know, I appreciate it. But doubt me a little bit more because I want to grow bigger. <laughs> you're obviously very self-motivated. Did you find that you had to upgrade the people you hung out with or or not really? So yes and no. Like as I have progressed in my like business and my lifestyle has changed and my conversations with certain like friends and family has completely changed. Like, I'll tell you, like, there are friends that don't bring up what's most important to me in my life anymore, which is my business, you know? So, you know, when you go hang out with them, it's like the same thing that we used to do back in high school and college. Like, okay, let's watch the UFC event. Well, let's watch the NBA events. Let's watch this thing. And let's go to this restaurant and just talk about sports. And yeah, it's good. You know, there are times where, you know, you, you don't want to be all business, 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 but like, you know, you stop relating to them at some point, like the conversations they have about, oh, hey, you know, I'm looking forward to Friday because I want to go out for the weekend. And then for me, it's like, oh man, Friday comes. That's when like business stops. I can't wait until Monday, you know? So it's like different. And then you know, I'll, I'll tell you, like, as you make money, like relationships with your your family changes, too, because you end up becoming like a supporter to your family. So almost all conversations is like, OK, can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? Where are you at? Like, I'm having trouble. Like, and then that's just all it is in those like family meetings. So then you start like pulling away a little bit. So, yeah, you know, sometimes it gets uh, lonely out there, you know, but like one thing that connects me with like my friends is sports. You know, I it's like my my release. Like I go there, you know, play basketball with them and it's like fun for me, you know? And then I have also tried looking for that stimulating type friendship groups. You know, I started joining some entrepreneur groups and, and like this one thing called entrepreneur organization, which has chapters all around the world. And it's like, you know, a $10,000, $15,000 buy-in. And then you get to meet with other entrepreneurs that are at a high level that want to pay for the buy-in too. And I thought that was going to be like the the best thing on earth for me because everyone like, you know, lives by saying how it's how it changed their life, how they're so happy. They love their, you know, group. But like, hey, I, I kind of don't relate to them as much as I thought I was going to, you know, so it's kind of <laughs> a weird position that I'm in. You know, I get real lonely sometimes. It's weird. I get lonely. But at the same time, I have friends. I have, you know, family and stuff. But like, you know, nobody knows the stuff that you're going through in your business. Nobody relates to it it's hard to, and that's your life, right? So it's like, it's hard to have conversations when people see, okay, you know, hey, I have a big business. I have all these employees. I have nice cars. I have nice things, but like, you know, I'm stressing, I'm, I'm nervous. Like my slow season's here. I have cash flow problems. And it's like, then I have somebody coming and asking, hey, can you give me a loan of this much? And it's like, whoa, it's like, hey, I'm going to be negative in my cash flow. How can I give you a loan? Then you start looking at you in some type of way, like, oh, come on, you're making all this money. How can you say that? You know, so it's just it's, it's been weird from a relationship standpoint. But like, I've got to meet some cool people, you know, 
I'm into exotic cars. So like, you know, when I go to like the valet of the nice restaurants, you, you start talking to the people over there, you you kind of hear them out and like, you know, it's, it's cool to be seen, you know, and you drive? Out with. so I have a few ones. I have a Lamborghini <laughs> Huracan Evo. I have like a Rolls Royce Wraith. I have an NSX and like a G wagon. So yeah, that's uh, funny. Yeah. I, I got into exotic car hacking myself. Also. Perfect. You're my, you're my friend. Maybe I, I know you in the group then. <laughs> Are you in the actual group? Yeah. That's awesome, man. Yeah. 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 I just picked up a Wraith. I, and we have, we just actually had PJ on the podcast. Oh, uh, no way. You got PJ yeah. on the podcast. That's yeah, pretty cool. On a podcast recently. But yeah. anyways, and I'm in EO too. That's, that's pretty funny. Yeah. So um, I'm a, I'm a student of PJ. You know, I've been through a lot of cars. I benefited during COVID, especially in the COVID. That's when I kind of started buying the cars and it doesn't matter what I bought. I made money on it. You know, like <laughs> I yeah. bought it six months later, I made 10,000, 15, 20, 30, you know, I had a Ferrari 458 that made me like 40,000 in like a couple of months, you know? Yeah. You, and, and guys, yeah. For, for those of you listening, what he's talking about is, is you can buy uh you can buy a car essentially for, if it's got the right spec, the right year, the right mileage, and you don't lose money on it and you may even make money on it, depending right. on where it's at in the market cycle. So there, and there's one specific guy that we had on the podcast before named PJ that, that teaches this. That's pretty cool, man. Yeah. The, yeah. And, the, and then there's a community of people around that, but it's a, it's a fun thing. Yeah. I want to, how's I your experience circle- for, for EO been like, you know, it's been good and bad for me. Like I'm curious to know from a different perspective. EO has been great. So okay, everybody like you, I moved into, well, I had, had to kind of upgrade my friend group. And I moved to a city where I didn't have a ton of friends and moved from Chicago to Scottsdale. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I really, that's one thing that's missing for me. Cause it, like you mentioned before, it can be lonely as an entrepreneur. There's not a lot, not everybody relates to what, what you're going through, especially with as many employees as you have and us too. There's a lot of issues that come up and you want to have people that you can talk to about it. And so for me, joining an entrepreneur group like EO in my local market where I have friends, we have yeah. chats, text chats and things like that, that really, that has helped me a lot as an entrepreneur. Obviously having great partners like Michael and Drew is, is helpful as well, but having that kind of outside perspective in, in an organization like that, I think a lot of it comes down to how your form is built, but it's it's a great right a great thing in, in general. So it's cool that, that you're a part of that. And then you meet people from other markets. You could go to other countries and meet people that are all in the same group. It's kind of like a little fraternity for entrepreneurs. So I wanted to circle back a little bit on your, your short-term business. Sure. So what did you experience? So, so I'm assuming you, do you actually own the real estate? Do you lease it from someone else and then, and then do a short-term? Yes. The, set up? the second one you said, so I am in the rental arbitrage business. Yep. So even though my first way to get in was to purchase and that's kind of how I got into it. Mm-hmm. And since then I've bought and I purchased like multifamily properties. I wish I purchased more than I have done so far, but I get distracted with the cars, you know, and I get distracted with cash flow problems that I go through on an annual basis. But I, yes, I also own, but that's maybe like 2% of my portfolio of 300 units. Mm-hmm. You know, my business is rental arbitrage. So I kind of, go to the big landlords in my markets, they have to be motivated and they have to need me to come into their unit to pay market rent because for whatever reason, they're not getting it rented or they have just so much vacancy in their buildings where they can use the cash flow for what I bring in. So I tell them like, allow me to rent your unit at market rent. 
hopefully give me a month free or two upfront, depending on the time of the year, which helps me with my startup costs. And I pay them rent and I furnish it and then I put it on Airbnb and I make the difference. Hey, are you tired of the stock market volatility or feeling like there's more you can do with your money? Do you dream of owning your real estate but not sure where to start? Now, here's the thing. You're not alone about this, and it's not your fault. There's so many options out there from wholesaling, flipping, to landlording, and turnkeys. Like, which one should you do? Which one's right to you if you want to get into real estate? And the truth is, none of the things I just mentioned will actually make you financial free and put you on a strong financial footing. But not to worry. I have a solution for you, a new idea perhaps, if you're open to new ideas. And that is the following. That we have found that the number one way to fast track your journey to financial freedom, build wealth, and retire is through apartment building investing. Now, you're probably thinking, that's great, Michael, but I don't have the experience or the money to get into apartments. And the good news is that you don't need previous experience or a bunch of money in a bank to get started. And I can say this with confidence because we've helped so many people of all walks of life do their first deal, and become financially free. In fact, we've helped students close over $1.5 billion in real estate. Now, if you're skeptical, that's okay. Your skeptical's fine, but you're open to this new idea, then let's have a conversation. Go to themichaelblank.com forward slash call and schedule a strategy session to explore working with us like so many others have before you as well. We're really excited to guide you on this journey and don't let fear or disbelief or what you think is possible hold you back. Remember, the only thing standing between financial freedom is action. And this is the one thing I want you to do right now is go to the michaelblank.com forward slash call and schedule that call with us. It may be the most exciting call that you'll have all year. Let's do this. Are these in apartment buildings? Because you said units. Are these apartment buildings or are they single family houses or a little bit of both? Yes. So no, my portfolio is based in apartment buildings all over like urban markets. That's kind of where my business so is. So you'll you'll find someone like like us, like right, that own an apartment complex and like, hey, I got this set up. I'll I got this program and I will put Airbnb residents on your on your property. Right. And sometimes they're interested and sometimes they're not, right? But yeah. Ninety nine point nine percent of the time is they're not interested. You know, nobody wants this in the in their building. It uh, affects the community within the building. But I hustled and put myself in situations to find that 0.1% of landlords that said yes to me. And not only that is, you know, they give me one or two units at first. And then I proved to them like, hey, I can handle four units, 10 units, 15, 20, 30, 100, 150. You know, like I I scaled uh, within my landlords over the years, you know. And so you kind of tiptoe in right and, and and show them that it that it works. Right. They're, they're happy with it. And then you kind of scale it within that community. Exactly. So like just to continue on to my story, initially back in 2018, I first tried the property management model, which was like eight an 80-20 split within like an owner who had a furnished place already, whatever it was. And then I realized that was not for me. It was not something that I liked doing. It almost made me an assistant to individuals. And I actually got into a bad transaction where somebody, you know, made me onboard their units for like three, four months. And after one month of managing it, they like cut me off. So like put a real bad taste in my mouth. So fortunately, I was put in a situation where there was this one group of land, like this one landlord who had maybe a thousand units at the time and, you know, a hundred units that were vacant. So I started pitching to them, like calling them like every other week to see if they were interested 
And they were like, just call back in two weeks, call back in three weeks. And then finally, they're like, you know, we're not interested. And I was like, how about at least two of the units? And how about I just pay you rent and furnish it and, you know, run it myself? And the owner of the management company was said, okay, you know, if you don't cause me any problems, like, yeah, you could take these two units. And then eventually I went exactly what I said earlier. I went back and I'm like, can I have two more? Can I have four more? And all of a sudden I have 35 units with him. And that's when the rental arbitrage model was like fell in my lap. And this was even before the term rental arbitrage was there, you know, it was back in 2018. And that's kind of how I started my rental arbitrage business. And I realized that's the model for me because it was not hand holding. It was just like, I ran my business and I, you know, paid him the rent. He handled the maintenance issues of the building and it was, I'm just like a normal tenant. But this guy had, you know, hundreds of units that were vacant at any given time. So the the risk that we see as apartment owners, obviously, is that with that model, it does, like you said, it, it screws up the culture on site potentially. Yep. yep. How do you mitigate that to to give, because you can't really control these people that are coming in, right? right. It's just, right. It's just whoever's, whoever's going to be there, but I'm right. sure you have some kind of something that you've set up to make that a little bit less risky for the owner. Yeah. So for one, it, it depends on the like unit type too. Like I'm not going in eight plus buildings in downtown Chicago or downtown, like in any market, you know, and what the rent's like four or 5,000 and the person next to me is a lawyer and the person uh, above me is a doctor, you know, like th- these are like, you know, B minus, maybe C plus type units where there are 50 unit buildings and there's a little riffraff in the buildings in itself, both with the long-term tenants, you know, it's not like they're like super easygoing, you know, I, sometimes I smell weed in the hallways, you know, so that's kind of where I found my niche, you know, my rent is like 1800, 2000, two bedroom, one bath in a 50 unit building. What's the demand for something like that? I mean, normally I associate Airbnbs with, you know, kind of vacation properties and maybe something a little nicer. Right. And so what kind of clientele then does that does that attract? I mean, who who yeah. wants to rent, you know, this for a weekend or a week at a, at a time? So, yes, you're right. Like you think of vacation rental markets, which is true, but urban is becoming big in short-term rentals. And one, there's a lot of regulations against ur- in urban markets to not do Airbnb, so the supply is always low in different markets. So, with that being said, it's like, you know, hotels are expensive. People are trying to find an alternative type place. And, you know, I'm offering two bedrooms and a bath or two bedrooms, two baths. And my product type is what they're looking for. At the same time, there's not a lot of hotels around my area. You know, all the hotels that are my my area are in downtown and not everybody needs to go to downtown everywhere every time they come to Chicago. So I'm bringing a product mix that is not available in the market. And at the end of the day, the, the demand doesn't lie. You know, I didn't know that there's certain neighborhoods that I was putting units in and they were successful. It was almost that same multiplier. I would be in an amazing neighborhood versus a bad neighborhood. One neighborhood would be three times or three, $3,000 rent and another, another neighborhood would be $1,000 rent, but I'll still make two to three times rent on whatever unit it was. So I didn't know that it was going to be like this until I actually started doing it. You know, And then at the end of the day, like I said, the market doesn't lie, the demand doesn't lie. Now, how did you, so you started with two units in this one apartment owner, you're now at 35. What? Why did the owner kind of start giving you more units? So obviously yeah. it wasn't as bad as they thought, but you know they thought something and it was something else. Why did that, you think, why did that happen? So like this landlord is scaling himself, you know, he's in like that, that market of like, you know, a thousand units and he's buying, you know, 
200 unit portfolios at a time. And his model is like the buy, rehab, refinance, and repeat model, right? The burn method. But like, this is not like the, the little small fix and flips. This is like mass size rehabs, right? Like he's adding value of like a million, $2 million to each building, right? And he, as every tenant leaves the unit, he just turns it around. So different times of the year is different motivations for landlords, right? He might get, he might finish a building in December and all of a sudden, you know, you're not going to get it rented out for another four or five months. So, you know, Hey, I'll take the cash flow for this. You know, I'll cover some rent for this debt. Like I'll get some rent for this debt service, you know? So like I said, at any given time, he had like, you know, hundred to 200 units vacant. So, you know, landlords like you guys, they want to keep a vacancy a percentage there, right? Because if you're 100% occupied, that means that you're pricing it way too low. So they try to hit hit this like 95, 96% occupancy. And then they'll they'll take some here and there for me. You know, I wasn't causing problems. Like you asked, like, how do I make sure like people are not doing bad things? It's, you know, I'm doing a good job screening. You know, I go through having conversations with each guest. You know, I'm asking them the reason for their stay, who they're coming with. I ask them for the first and last names. I ended up looking up them on social media, finding their LinkedIn I go through a process and then inside the unit, I have like noise monitoring. I have people on staff that will go to the unit if there's a problem or if people are being loud and kick people out. <clears throat> and also I make relationships with the neighbors. Like if there is a problem and they complain, I see their email and then I, I give them a hundred dollar gift card. I'm sorry for the inconvenience. If something like this happens again, just call us next time. Don't call the landlord. We'll handle it and we'll give you a, a gift card, you know, and they kind of like that sometimes, you know, yeah. so as long as the landlord is not getting complaints and having problems, they're okay with me, you know? Yeah. You mentioned earlier, you sometimes uh, go through uh, cash flow problems. What do you, what was happening in your business? I'm yeah. just curious. So I'll talk about a situation that I just got into in 2022 to 2023. So in 2022, like, I know I'm fast forwarding, but like 2022, I have from like 40 units when I told you the story back in 2018. And now 2022 comes, you know, I've gone through the whole COVID thing. If you want to talk about COVID, we could talk about that at a later point. But now I have 300 units and I'm scaling throughout the year for one. So that's one thing. So I'm using a lot of my funds, my reserves that I have into growing the business. So one, that lures my cash. Secondly, is I go into slow seasons in my market. Summertime is where I make my money. I make my money in three, four months out of the year. And then in the wintertime, it's significantly bad. And at the same time, if you're adding units during like the tail end of the year, then you eat into more of your like cash flow in the uh, slow season. So in 2022, I had pent up demand. I was making money that I never made before. Mass mandates went away and uh, there was pent up demand in my market. I had the most units that I ever had. And I made the most money I ever had made in those few months in the summer. But all of a sudden there was fatigue of traveling to my market. And because of that, my winter ended up being way worse than I was expecting. I started taking losses in November of $350,000 a month of losses. Like basically my revenue came in at like 600,000 and I had like, you know, a million dollars worth of expense because my rent was 600,000 plus all my people and everything to run the business, utilities, whatever it was, you know? And then growth in my business too at the same time because I didn't know this was going to happen. So I took a $350,000 loss in November, $350,000 loss in December, January, $400,000 loss, February, three hundred fifty. Like all of a sudden I had $1.5 million worth of losses in four months. I had $1.2 million in cash reserves from like my proceeds from like the summer months. 
And all of a sudden I'm negative $300,000 in my bank account. You know, it's a struggle. It's like depressing. You see, you're slowly bleeding, you know, your money out every single month. And it's the risk you took. You know, I did not expect that winter to be that bad. I was adding units nonstop. I started hiring a huge organization, my dream organization, because I thought I was going to get to 400 units and $17 million worth of revenue and the, the pent up demands, the new demand going forward. And it was not the case, you know? So all of a sudden I'm delaying rent five days, you know, just to meet that like a uh, late fee cutoff. I took my utilities off, off of auto pay. I'm stacking up debt on my credit cards all over again. And just like, I need to get to spring. I need to get to summer. And I got there, you know, and then now I'm a little more prepared now I'm going to this year. I'm not going to, I actually had took a layoff, you know, I took uh, maybe 20 resources out of my business because remember I told you, I thought I was going to get to 400 units and I thought I was going to make 17 million. I'm, you know, I, I'm flat year over year for a revenue perspective. I made, you know, in 2022, $10.7 million. And in 2023, I'm going to make 11.5 million, you know, so I'm kind of flat year over year, but my organization was as if it was going to go to 17 million. So I had to, you know, adjust. So that's kind of why I go through cash flow problems because of seasonality and managing my growth and not forecasting my slow season like I thought it was going to be. But I have a little more data now, so I'm prepared a little bit more this year. What do you think the biggest threat is to your business? Because you hear, you know, you hear a bunch of stuff about short-term rentals. Oh, and then you you read stuff about New York basically outlawing yeah. and you're like, oh my gosh, you're killing me. So what what do you assess your your, your biggest threats? So again, like you said, New York regulations is huge. Like you want to be in a market that already has regulations in place. And so at least you could live within the regulations and they might not have a new regulations coming up in X amount of years. New York and like LA and like Seattle, like those are ex ex markets that like have like strong regulations to like not do short term rentals. Obviously, it's if you could figure out how to do it with those in those markets in some type of hotel license or whatever, that's great, you know. So regulations is is a big thing. But I actually like going into markets that are regulated because of like supply issues. Like you'll hear about the Scottsdale market and the Arizona market, how it had the Airbnb bust, right? How Back during COVID, everybody wanted to come to Arizona and Texas and Dallas, Austin and Florida because, you know, those were the only places things were open. And then the demand was so high and everyone's adding short term rentals. But now when COVID's over, like people are going back to like the traditional other vacations that they were doing. But all of a sudden, the supply that they thought that it needed is not there anymore and demand's not there. So all of a sudden, everyone's saying Airbnb bus, it's a terrible business and not good. But yeah, you know, you kind of went where you you saw everybody else going, and you kind of screwed yourself over. So, yeah, so regulation is is something important for me. It's like cash flow problems. Like, don't do something wrong to make it so I can't get out of my slow season. Which you know, I always think that I'm prepared to, but there's always something that happens that not that I did not expect. Like, you know, I did not expect COVID to happen on March 15th, the day spring break happens, you know, and I was like, you know, at crazy losses at the same time that year. And I'm like, okay, you know, my business is done, you know, at that time. Then I thought, okay, now I know COVID, I'm not going to let something like that happen again. And I let that happen again in 2022 to 23, you know? So it's like, I think I'm smarter, but then I never end up getting it right. You know, I try to base my, you know, forecast on my historicals, but my my historicals never match the future, what happens. So cash flow is big. Another thing is like relationships with landlords, you know, is huge. You know, I work with big property managers and things happen, right? So, you know, I have touched 600 units in my career, 
I have furnished 600 units. And right now I had 315, like three months ago. And then, then I had 250 and now I just closed the deal for 20 more. And now I'm back at 300, you know? So it's like this up and down thing and things have happened with my relationship with landlords. So that landlord that I had 35 units with, I'm not doing business with them anymore. Another landlord that I had 55 units with, I'm not doing business with anymore because something happened. There was there was a fire in his A-class building in one of the wings and it displaced 100 tenants. And then now my wing that had uh, no fire ended up being valuable to the landlord. And then all of a sudden he's like, I need to move these people in tomorrow. And I'm like, listen, we're, we're, in a, we're month to month at the time. And I knew he was going to let me go anyway. I was like, but you know, I'm going to make a hundred thousand dollars net income here. I'm not letting, give you my units. You know, are you crazy? And then he went off saying like, you know, uh, sue me. I'm locking your doors and moving your stuff. I don't give a crap. You know, let the judge see that there was like these families displaced and who gives a shit about your business, you know? But then, then it was like, I'm a businessman. So I'm like, okay, then what's your offer for me to leave? And then he gave me uh, an offer. $60,000 is what I took, took away which wasn't a win, but to me, it wasn't the worst loss. You know, he took my three-year-old furniture. I didn't have to deal with anything where, oh, you broke this vanity, you ding this wall after like you owe me this and like that, because that happens when I leave units too. And, oh, you owe me for this utility fee from like two years ago, you owe me this late, like this, that happens every time I leave, right? So I didn't have to deal with any of that. And that landlord actually gave me a break during COVID you know, he he subsidized my rent to allow me to stay in business. So it's kind of giving him a favor back, you know. And, you know, now from with like 55 units, now I have one unit with him and that's going to like at some point leave. But it's funny, like even after our ups and downs and our arguments and like lawyer here, lawyer there, he just texted me the other day. He's like, are you interested in these three units? So it goes there to you show go. you even even through like like the battles we've had, like COVID, you owe me this, you're causing problems here. I need you out of my, my investors are pissed off at you, my community. Like even through all that, after like four years of now we don't do business together, he still messaged me because I, I do pay out all my, you know, last dollars. And then I take my furniture out with care and I clean the unit and I give it back to you, even though I have no more business with you. And I understand some things that probably dinged up, but like it was nothing that to the point where he's like, I don't want you back. And then so, yeah. you know, it's interesting. Your reputation like, is, is yeah. important to you, right? right? Like in your business in general. And so, yeah. I mean, that's just an example of that. I'm right. curious, Syed, what would you say is the hardest thing about doing short-term rentals that someone that's just getting started wouldn't know about in this environment unless yeah. they're kind of at your level? So- a big thing is it's not real estate. You know, people think it's passive and set it and forget it. And then you collect rent every month and people don't bother you. But it's a lot of handholding. It's hospitality. It's not real estate. So it's a real business, which there are real businesses within real estate, but like that long what was a buy and hold type business model. It's not that, right? So it's a lot of checking guests in making sure they have the, the lockbox code and how to get to their unit. And then they don't know how to use the lockbox and they don't know how to check in and they're outside and you're in the middle of dinner with your family. And they're like, how do I get in? And you start getting stressed, you know? So it's, it's, it's a lot of handholding. Then you have to make sure the unit is clean. Cleaners come, they don't do a good job. You get complaints or the cleaner doesn't show up. Then what do you do? You know? So it, it, it is work and it is not as easy as people on social media say it is. But if you have the knowledge and experience 
and know certain tips and tricks and then think of all the things that can go wrong, will go wrong and have backups to it. You can make it a model where, you know, it's more automated. But again, you got to be there ready to um, take action. Do you feel like you can scale this business, Sayed? So I you feel like have. I scaled it. Yeah, yeah I no, scaled, scale, I scale it more. Yeah. So yes and no. So I would say 300 units with no outside partners, no debt is a pretty scaled business. You know, I have $10 million worth of revenue. I fluctuate between 10% to 15 to 20% margins. So I am taking home a good amount of money. I have 75 resources in my business, so it's scaled. I had dreams of taking it to 500 units, $20 million of revenue, you know, take home like, you know, $2 million or 2.4, whatever it is. But because of the things I have gone through, the ups and downs, 40 units going away tomorrow, COVID happening, cash flow issues, lawsuit from my truck driver, lawsuit from the guest, lawsuits coming out of nowhere. Like, it's just like it, the stress has taken a toll on me recently. And I'm like, listen, like, okay, I kind of just want to stay at this 300 unit mark. And I kind of want to just make a million dollars a year and just leave me alone. Like I'm hiding, you know, like I, I like sometimes I hide and there are times where I'm like, man, just looking at my phone, I don't want any phone call of something bad happening. So, you know, I'll tell you, like, I've gone through some bad stress with this, even though like my daily life is like, anybody would say it's a dream life, right? Like, you know, I have that two hour work week, you know, I don't know if you guys, Garrett, if you know, like EOS, and you know, it's big in EO, like everyone does EOS and that like kind of changed my life, right? So my work is really that L10 meeting every week, but don't get me wrong, that, that takes a toll on me that because all my, all the questions and everything and the path and what we're doing happens right then and there. And I, I'm firing out answers, right? So like, I'm exhausted for like a day after, you know, because my brain, but like, other than that, it's like, I'm managing stress, you know? And people will say it's a dream lifestyle, a dream anything. But man, it takes a toll on you. I, sometimes I go through body pains when something really bad happens, you know? And so that's like, okay, so just give me my million and leave me alone. <laughs> that's got to work. I've never related to anything more than what you just said. <laughs> right, yeah. right. That's so that's so cool. Yeah. Listen, man, the same thing here. Like I have to, I found that I had to focus a lot on my health, like on the weekends, especially I'm just doing, I'm like, what can I do to stack up like wins in my health, whether it's going to do the cold plunge and sauna or just other things to kind of help right. me manage the stress better. And there's got, there's ways that entrepreneurs find ways to do that and in order to, cause it's just so hard right. that you can't even, you just rattle off a bunch of stuff. There's probably 50 other things deeper than that, that are, that are happening also. Right. And that's just what it is. It's the reality of it. So say it. This has been really great. How can people get a hold of you if they need to? Yeah, so I just started my personal brand and that's kind of why I'm on this like podcast tour and I'm getting people to know who I am and what I've done. I've kind of been behind the scenes like for the past like 6 years just working on my business, growing it. But again, because of the cash flow problems, I was like, okay, I need to have some type of thing just in case something happens. So I started creating a personal brand and posting on social media. So find me on Instagram. You can see my Instagram handle on my Zoom. It's Syed BNB, S Y E D BNB. And over there, you can see like my story and things that I go through on a daily basis and some of my snippets from podcasts. So you kind of learn who I am. Thanks for sharing this business, man. It's been really interesting. Also, thanks for being vulnerable. And because and we always talk about, oh, how great we are, but you really talked about some ups and downs. So thank you so much for doing that and for, for being here on the show today. Yeah, it was a good time. It went by so fast. Maybe we have like a number two at some point.
So that's actually really interesting. And it, it just highlights the fact that there's no such thing as true ultimate passive income. I mean, even in, 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 a, in syndication world, this is something where I thought when I got into restaurants, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm just going to passively invest in these restaurants and someone else will run them for me. And that's great while things are going well. But when things aren't going well, you got to get involved. And short-term rentals is an example of that. For, for me, it's a little bit much. Like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I, I just, to me, it's, it's not something that I get, get very excited about. But I have seen people that have been successful with a, with a small number of short-term rentals but even now, the margins have been decreasing over, over the last several months. I know a few people who have been getting squeezed in that. And it's because everybody's jumping in a short-term rental market, and now it's not as profitable as, as it was before. But I'm fascinated by it. And I think Syed has really tapped into something that he could theoretically scale. Because he's right, Garrett. We, we have sometimes vacancy that we don't want to deal with. If someone takes in five or 10 units to get us over that hump for a year, you know, we might take that bet. So I think he's He's really found an interesting niche in that in the short-term rental market. Yeah, short-term rentals, I and mean, this is a model that you see other people teaching about and, and things like that, but rarely do you find someone that's scaled it up to hit this guy's level with, with 300 units available. I mean, that's there's a lot that goes into it. It's a lot of turn. Like he said, you're in the hospitality business. It's not, it's not mm-hmm. the real estate business necessarily. And I know people that have put too many Airbnbs on their property and it's destroyed their whole property. So there there are risks to that as a landlord. We don't actually do it on any of ours because of that risk of, of people just that you don't know being on your site. So there, there are a lot of challenges that come with that, that business model, but it's really cool to see how he's been able to pivot around that. And I think there's going to be a growing need for this type of, of business as vacancies maybe in increase during the, this period, of course. So really entrepreneurship in general is just about how you're pivoting and reacting to things in order to stay alive and, and afloat and and how you thrive with that. So it's if you can be persistent with everything that you're doing in, in entrepreneurship and just, just work through any issue that comes up, like he's clearly doing, hopefully you can make it. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. And the other thing I said was so so honest. That's it's lonely at the top, and I think when you depart into entrepreneurship, it's going to become lonely because you know ninety nine point nine percent people around you, well, they're not in entrepreneurship. They're W two. Their mindset is totally different. And you know this is why you're in, in EO and I'm in abundance because my my neighbors aren't going to be entrepreneurs, right? And like like Syed is saying, is you know when I'm struggling with my business and I, I'm not going to talk to my neighbor about that. He has no idea what I'm experiencing, what I'm going through. And so it is lonely at the top. So, you know, when you embark on this journey of entrepreneurship, multifamily syndications, whatever the case may be, you know, really look at the people that you're around. And, you know, I think Jim Rohn said, you become the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. Look around. Like, do you want to be the average of the five people you're currently, you know, hanging out with? And you might have to make some changes. That doesn't mean you should, you know, break up with your friends, but find other people that you're around with and and allow them to kind of elevate you to the next level. If this all this sounds like a lot of work, which it is, and you maybe are interested in more investing in passively in real estate, we'd love to have a conversation with Nighthawk Equity. We're obviously a multifamily company, but we're expanding that to, to include other real estate asset classes. We're creating a debt fund right now to give you different kinds of risk profiles to look at. So if you want to invest passive real estate, then connect with us. Go to nighthawkequity.com and schedule a call and uh, we'll get to know you a little better and see what you're looking for and present you with some upcoming opportunities. So just a reminder, deals are still getting done. Uh, it's important that you start talking to brokers, get educated, learn how to analyze deals, 
pick markets and let's do this. Thanks for listening. Take the next step toward financial freedom by downloading Michael's free ebook, The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Head over to themichaelblock.com slash ebook to get the free training.